I was struck as we were singing about how it is that when God shows up, God showed up in our midst, and it was unrecognizable. It's like, here this little baby in a manger, and we're celebrating the coming of Emmanuel, Emmanuel coming to us. And yet, just like God, it, you know, I'm sure Israel expected it would be something like when God showed up on Mount Sinai in the wilderness. But when God showed up, the humility is so, he's so lowly that you don't notice him. And, and, and it takes revelation to see him. And I, and I was even thinking about how in preaching and in reading of the word and such, often we're like, we're just like that. We don't notice it. Because you know what God, God wants to speak to us. He speaks to us through preaching. He speaks to us through teaching. He speaks to us through his word ultimately, right? But how often are you distracted by me? How often do you miss the fact that when Mike's up here doing the call or as Nate was up here reading that God was speaking to you? Oh no, he wasn't. That was, that was Nate, Mike, Dean. You know, he, he was. And that's how he, how he does it. He, he comes in a way to us often that it, we're just like Israel. We miss it. We don't see it. We think these are common words. It's a common thing. The fact that we get up here and declare what God has said to us. So I just, I was struck by that. How often we're just the same. All people miss God's work in the world. We miss him constantly. Um, this is a pre-sermon. Well, this morning we're going to we're going to start off in Exodus chapter twenty-eight and work our way all the way through to First Peter. No, <laughs> no, we are going to start off in Exodus twenty-eight, and uh, but before we we get going, uh, you can turn there, and we're going to seek God's blessing on our time. Father, we are so thankful that we are here gathered together in your presence now. You are in our midst. You dwell in us. You dwell in us individually. You dwell in us corporately. You're here right now by the Spirit. And yet, we miss you all the time. We fail to take notice. We fail to see. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see. And as we open your word, may we see the truth revealed in it. May we see you. May we see what it is you're saying to us. May you speak to us, your people, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Because so often, just like even right now, we miss it. We miss the fact that you're here with us, ministering in our midst even now. So, O Lord God, please have mercy on all of us here. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus. Amen. Well, last week we talked about how it is we need to regain God's heart. And it's, these are, these are the last five messages in terms of what is it we need to do if we're going to become a church on mission. And so we looked at the fact that if we have to know the, the the heart of the God we love and we serve, and, and we always reflect that. So if we don't care about the world, we don't care about our neighbors. If we don't care about the lost, what does that say? It says that we think that our God doesn't either. Because when we know that our God cares, when our God loves, we care and love in reflection of that. We reflect and we live out what we think our God is like. 
This morning, I want us to look at a mindset that we need to put on because we start with our heart. We need to get our heart right. We have to know our God and know what he was like and know how much he loves the world, know how much he loves the lost, know how much he rejoices when they repent. We have to have that heart if we're ever going to become missional people, a missional church. And this morning, I want us to put on a mindset, a mindset that we have to have. If we don't have a proper mindset about who we are in the world, then we're not going to be missional either. And as a result of this, we're going to look at what it means that we are a priesthood of believers and how that affects our living among unbelievers how that affects how we live in the world. Because once we understand who we are, who God made us, and who he made us to be in the world, it'll affect how we live in the world. And in order to do this, we're going to begin by looking at the priesthood in Israel, and then how it was fulfilled in the New Testament church, and then how that applies to us today. So to begin with, let's look at the priesthood in Israel. And this is going to begin in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. And I want us to think about this. This is what I want you to think about as we look at this, because obviously when you think of the priesthood of Israel, if you don't understand and see the personal connection, you're kind of like, okay, what's the deal with the garments? What's the deal with all the the things that the, the priests do? Okay, so they're a priesthood and they did a bunch of things that are completely irrelevant to us today. Well, it's not true. Because it's completely irrelevant to us today. And I want you to, as we go through this section, to think about, try to, try to beat me to the punch. See if you could notice things. How was this fulfilled in the New Testament and in us today? What was this prefiguring? What was this foreshadowing? What was this saying about what was going to happen? Think about it that way. So all the details as we go through this priesthood of in Israel and how they understood the priesthood and what it was, think about, okay, I wonder how that would have been fulfilled in the new covenant and how it affects me today. Because that's how we have to think about this. In the old covenant, the priesthood, I hope we, you know, we all understand that it's a group of people within Israel that came through the, through Aaron, and Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. So Aaron is a Levite, and he, it's through him and his children alone, just Aaron and Aaron's children, who are, who are the priesthood. And as this group of priests were being set up in Exodus by God, sorry, God was setting them up, this ministry of this particular priesthood in Exodus 28 and 29, we get some significant details about how they were to be dressed, how they were to be ordained, and how they are to be cleansed and prepared for their service. And in chapter 20, 28, if you have your Bibles open, you can see a whole chapter is dedicated to how they were to dress, the clothing they were to make, and how they were to put it on. From the turban on their head, to the ephod, to the breastplate, to, to the... Uh, the gown that goes over top, the whole works, all of it, the color, the length, everything was described there. You can see details about how they were to dress. And in verse 2, if you look there, God says why he gave this. In chapter 28, this is how you're to dress the priest. And he says this in verse 2, that he wants their garments to be for glory and for beauty. So God's glorifying them 
And he wants them to look beautiful so Israel would see this glorious, beautiful person that what? That gets to go into the presence of God. That ministers before God on behalf of the people. So a priest was doing that. Their fundamental duty was to minister before God on behalf of Israel. We all know that they wore a breastplate, right? And there were how many stones on that? Somebody tell me. Twelve. <laughs> Twelve stones on here. And all these stones represented the, the tribes of Israel. So the priest would carry in with him on his chest, represent, representing the 12 tribes of Israel would go into the presence of God. And then and if we go down in the next chapter, so now the priest is dressed for glory and for beauty and prepared now to represent the people almost. This is how God says they were to be ordained. In Exodus 29 verses 4 through 9. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. They're getting baptized. They're to wash them with water. This is where it all starts. So the first thing they do, before they get dressed, they're going to get all washed with water. And then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod. And the ephod and the breastpiece and and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil, and pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons, and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes, and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So here they are washed, they are clothed, and they are anointed with oil for their ordination. But then it goes on. After this, this is kind of an elaborate and extensive process by which they were going to be ordained. They, had to, they have to offer sacrifices for themselves and for the tabernacle. And this is quite extensive as well. There's all kinds of sacrifices that needed to be offered for them. And here's how it's culminated, brought together in verse 35 and following. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days. Now this was, you hear that? Seven days you shall ordain them. A seven-day ordination. Not seven hours, not seven minutes. Seven days. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Sin offering. So these priests have sin on them that needs to be atoned for. Also, you should purify the altar. The altar needs to be purified. And when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it and to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever it touches, the altar shall become holy as unto God. Now, when you think of holy, it's pure, undefiled, separated, purely unto God and to God alone. It's holy. Pure, undefiled, separated unto God. Now, the Aaron and the priesthood are pure, undefiled, separated unto God. Most holy to God. And the thing is, they weren't seven days earlier before this all started. They were of the world and unholy. 
They were not holy people. We know what, how Aaron was envious of Moses and how he dealt with his brother and how, you know, they've got issues. So now God says, I am going to make them most holy as unto me and for me and for my service. May must wash them and clothe them and cleanse them and prepare them so that now after God has ministered this gift of mercy and grace upon them, they're separated from the world unto me most pure and holy for my service. Right? Now, once these priests had gone through all of this, and their sins were atoned for, their ministry could begin. And their ministry was to be on behalf of all of Israel unto God, in in God's presence for them. And they were the only ones who were allowed to offer sacrifice. They were the only ones who were able to enter the holy place and administer to the duties within. And only one priest, as we know, right, the high priest, was allowed into the most holy place once a year. However, all the priests were allowed into the holy place where they were responsible to keep um, inside there. We, do you remember what's inside there? There's three basic things in there. You've got the menorah, the lamps, lampstands. You've got the altar of incense in front of the most holy place. And then you've got the bread, the table with the showbread on it. So those three elements. And then outside of that, there's you go uh, leave the holy place into the courtyard, and right in front of the entrance to the holy place was the altar. And so they had to actually keep the candles going around the clock, make sure there's oils in the candles and they're always burning. Make sure there's incense in the altar of incense, and it was always going up as this pleasing aroma before the throne of God. And then on the table, they had to make sure there were 12 cakes of bread that were baked. And here's one of the things the commentators talk about. Those loaves or cakes of bread, they were round cakes of bread, basically 12 of them. They sat in there for a week. Every Sabbath, they were to bake fresh ones. But before they baked them, the priests had to eat them. And you can read this in Exodus as well. So you're thinking, they had no preservatives in them. They're seven days old, and they have to eat them. And they said, basically, a miracle happened every single week for these guys. They witnessed, in the presence of God, these cakes were just as fresh when they ate them as when they baked them. And then on the Sabbath, they baked new ones, and every week replaced them. And then every week, they, the, the priests would have to eat them. And so here we have this... You know, and it's all, it's all just, there's nothing really going on, right? It's just candles lit, all incense going up, bread sitting there. Kind of a quiet place. How much going on in there except those three things? And now you think, well, what, what's this all about? What's happening? Is, is, what does this have to do with anything? Well, what we're going to see is that this is all, this is foreshadow. These are types. These aren't realities. It's God is basically speaking to them in, you know, picture form. This means, the lights, they mean something. The altar of incense, it means something. The table of showbread, it means something. But we don't know yet. The priestess minister, they don't really understand that this is just a type and a shadow. This isn't reality. This is, this is looking forward to something greater. And the priests, you know, that not only did they offer sacrifices and then maintain and, and care for all the stuff in the holy place, in the temple, they also were, were judges and instructors, teachers to the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 17, 8 through 10, it says this, 
If cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at the time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. And he goes on to talk about the consequences of not doing so. It'll be very bad for you if you don't, God said. So one of the things the priests would do in addition to the temple duties was act as a judge in difficult cases. Judge according to the law of God. Also in Malachi 2.7, it says this, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. So he was also a teacher and an instructor in Israel of the law. He's to know the law and to teach the people the law. So all of this stuff was pointing forward to something about this whole priesthood and what they were doing. There's, this was not the final reality. We know that now that we're Christians in the New Covenant. But what, what did they, these things point to? Well, let's look now at this priesthood in the church. That's a priesthood in Israel. Now let's look at the priesthood in the church. With the coming of Jesus, who is, as we know, our great high priest. The high priest, Aaron the high priest, was a foreshadowing type of Jesus. Jesus is the real priest, high priest. We have the one who goes to the altar. So Jesus, the great high priest, he goes to the altar, not to offer the blood of bulls and goats, but it's to offer his, his self to make atonement for his people. So unlike Aaron, who would take blood of bulls and goats and lambs, and he would slit them and their blood would be spilt out and they would die and then they would be put on the altar and then they would go up and smoke and that smoke, that cloud would join the glory cloud and be united to God. This, this symbolic picture of one dying, spilling his blood and dying and then ascending into the glory cloud of God. This is what Jesus did. He went to the altar of the cross. He spilled his blood. He died. And then he ascended into the glory cloud of God. A picture of what was going to happen. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And it's most important to understand something. Do you guys remember in Matthew what happened when Jesus died on the cross and he cried out and gave up his spirit? What happened in the temple? The veil, that huge, thick veil between the holy place and the most holy place was torn in two. God ripped it in half. And what was he saying? The way of access has now been given. Jesus, the great high priest, entered into that most holy place once for all. And now with it, it's split open and allows you to come in. It allows not just, not just a special, well, there are a special group of people, but not just not a special group of people within the people of God. All of the people of God. Everyone's allowed in now. And this is why, you know, you see things in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. Do you realize the language there is talking about Jesus as a great high priest? And now we're to go, where does it say we're to go in our time of need? to the throne of grace. Do you realize what he's talking about? He's saying, go into the most holy place at your time of need. He's telling Christians, all Christians everywhere, men, women, children, those who know the Lord, you are to come in to the most holy place. Well, what does this have to mean? What does this 
It means that somehow, not even somehow, we know that we had to have been consecrated. There's, God says, no one will come into my presence unless he's made holy, unless he's washed, unless he's clothed, unless he's anointed, unless there's been sacrifice for sins made for him, so that he's taken out of the world, brought into my presence, and made holy, holy, holy. So what we see happen to Aaron and to his sons, it was just a prefiguring of what was going to happen to us. Because we are, we are cleansed in the waters of baptism and united to Christ. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are anointed with the Spirit. We are, we are atoned for by the blood of Jesus. You th- see all the things that we just read happen to you. But see, that was, th- that happened physically. And to what we get the spiritual realities. So, you know, it's quite different in the sense that all we get, all we really experience in our initiating process is baptism. So the waters of baptism come upon us. And we come out of the waters of baptism and we are those who are united to Christ and to our God. And so we have the waters of cleansing come upon us. And at that time, we, we, we don't have a perpetual sacrifice. We don't have this perpetual anointing and stuff that's happening in the Old Covenant. This is once for all, and we're just to be baptized. And all the meaning that's con, that is brought forward from the Old Covenant in the priesthood is conveyed through this baptism. And here we are now, holy unto the Lord. But in addition to this, even the, do you realize that all... All the things within the temple themselves are pointing to greater realities. So we are the priests who, who, who enter in and you first have to, if you're going to go in, you have to get washed, you have to get clothed, you have to get anointed and your, your sins have to be atoned for. That all happens on the outside where the altar's at before you move in. And then we move in in the holy place and what do we see? We see the candles, we see the altar of incense and we see the table of showbread. Well, these all have greater spiritual realities in the church. In Revelation 1.10, the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw, now look what he saw. Imagine this in your mind. He, he's, he's somewhere and he sees this glorious figure, but he sees seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So he sees Jesus in the midst of, uh, he doesn't describe kind of what he's in, but it, it, it certainly has... You know, thoughts of the, he's in the holy place because the seven golden lampstands, just as you had in Solomon's temple, the seven golden lampstands, there they were. And he says what these seven golden lampstands are. He says that these, these, uh, these lampstands are the churches. These seven golden lampstands in Revelation 1, uh, verse 10 and following, he describes them there that these are the churches. So what were those reflecting and representing and why were they lights in God's presence? They were lights in God's presence because in one day God is going to have a church and this church is going to be that they are the seven golden lampstands. And here what we find um, out about the altar of incense. 
The altar of incense also represented something in reference to the church as well. In Revelation 8.3, it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar of golden uh, at the altar, sorry, with a golden censer. Now the priest would also go up to this altar and he would have fire in his censer with incense in it as he walked in there. And, it was, and he was given much incense to offer, and he, he's given this incense when he was in there, to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The golden altar before the throne is the altar of incense. And the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of the saints, and it rose before God from the hand of the angel. So the angel's in the, in the holy place at the altar of incense, and what is happening? What is this pleasing aroma that's going up? This is the prayers of the saints. God's people praying. So there will be, this is why he wanted it to happen continually. In the, in the old covenant, in, in the temple, I want this to never go out. I want there continuously to be prayers offered up. And this is what it is a picture of. It, then it was just incense that was a pleasing aroma. And here we see in the new covenant that this is truly what God delights in, is not so much the incense, but the prayers of his people that are like incense. Now, now we have also the table of showbread with its 12 cakes of bread representing, in that case, the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, all of God's people. These 12 tribes are fulfilled in the 12 apostles, who are the foundation stones of the church that he's building this new temple. In Ephesians 3, he talks about this, where he says these apostles are the foundation stones of the new temple he's building, and this temple being the church, made up of the church. So here the bread represents, it's always, it was supposed to be fresh and in God's presence continually. So we've got the the church being represented here, that one day before in God's presence and the whole, the curtain will be torn in two before his throne room will be the church living as light and lights always speaking of the way you live. You let your light shine so, so shine before men that they would glorify your father in heaven. Offering up prayers to continually and being, being this bread that feeds and nourishes and gives life just as a Jesus came. The bread is always a symbol of giving of life. You are the people who don't just give, give light, don't just offer up prayers, prayers, but you give life. Just as Jesus came to give you life, so you give life. These 12 ro- uh, loaves represent life-giving bread. This is also why, uh, you know, when you think of it, all these things are, are spiritual realities. Now, all of a sudden, we no longer have this per- these perpetual services in the same way. But we are, we are actually the fulfillment and the reality of it. We are the light of the world. We are to offer up our prayers and we are to give, give the bread of life to the world. And then we no longer have a sacrifice because of the once for all sacrifice of Jesus, the spotless lamb that made us, that, that cleansed us and made us holy. And this is why things have drastically changed for us, drastically changed in the new covenant. And also why Peter says what he does in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 5 and following. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And because of these realities, we have to understand that the priesthood has moved into your neighborhoods. The priesthood It still exists. This is the priesthood of believers. 
Do you realize, every one of you, if you're in Christ, you are a priest. Now, you, you represent to the world, you, you're the one who represents the world, sorry, to God. You're the one who stands in the gap. You're the one who offers up the prayers. You're the one who shines the light. You're the one who gives the bread of heaven. You are the one, wherever, wherever God has placed you, you are now a priest. This is the priesthood to your neighborhood, to your communities, wherever God has put you. And we can see in 1 Peter, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, We were made a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And here's why. He tells why. That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you hear that? Why did he make you a priesthood? That you might go into the world and the nations and proclaim to them the excellent, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. So the first thing we are to do as priests if we understand this mindset we're to have, you're a priest, I'm a priest, we're a priest where God has planted us. God has made you a priest to your neighborhoods, to your communities. He says you are to proclaim, you are to be one who proclaims the excellencies of him who called you. You're the one, and what are these excellencies? What are the excellencies? The excellencies are in Christ Jesus. The excellencies is that God took me who was a sinner and he washed me, he, he, he clothed me. He, he anointed me with the Spirit, and He cleansed me from my sin, and He's made me His. He's, he took me out of darkness, brought me into His marvelous light. These are the glorious excellencies that I have in Jesus. And so we talk about this as the gospel. This is really what He's saying. You guys have been this, this possession as priests of the gospel. This means that we are to see ourselves. You are to view yourself as those who are called by God and ordained as priests to proclaim the excellent things that God has done for you in Christ. So the first thing he says to do, you, there's more things to do, but the first thing he says is that you, one of the things you're to do as a priest is you're to declare to the world out there, to the people God has placed around you, the excellencies of God in Christ Jesus. In addition to this proclaiming, Peter goes on to say in verses 11 to 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This whole section in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3, he's going on to show the implications of the fact that you're now a priest. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a holy nation. You, this is who you are, and as a result of it, this is how you should conduct yourself. Man, it just, this, here's, here's a, just a sampling of how this list gets fleshed out. He says, you should be subject to every human institution, verse 13. Live as servants of God, verse 16. Honor everyone, verse 17. Love the brotherhood, verse 17b. Slaves, obey your masters, verse 18. Wives, obey your husbands, chapter 3, verse 1. Husbands, honor your wives, chapter 3, verse 7. We, were unify, uh, we are to be unified, loving, and humble with each other, verse 8. 
And then in verse 15, they were to honor Christ in everything and be ready to give an answer to the unbelievers who might ask them for the reason of the hope within them. He concludes this whole section to say, be prepared. Live in this such a way. You are a priest to God. You're made holy in Christ Jesus. Live in such a way and conduct yourself in such a way before them that they would see the hope that is in you and you'd be able to give a reason for the hope that is in within you. Now what I want us to leave here with this morning is a mindset, a different mindset. And you know, this is something happened to me as I, I was thinking and wrestling through this it's, it's an interesting picture as I just thought of myself in my neighborhood and in communities as a priest. I'm a priest to them. I'm to, God has called me to be a priest to them, to, to, to go to God on their behalf, to be a shining light in the community in the way I conduct myself, to offer up continually prayers like incense before the throne to feed them with the bread of heaven. So you look around your neighborhood, and how have you ever thought of yourself as I'm the priest of this neighborhood? And if there's another believer there, they're a priest as well. Not just one, there's multiple, we're all priests. But we, do you think of yourself like that? A mindset of as a priest to the people around you. They're, they're far from God, you're near to God. Christ Jesus. And God wants you to act as priests. Even think of uh, 2 Timothy 3, where he talks about how you, he offer prayers for all men and for those who are in authority and for the, the, those in whom you're subject to and offer prayers for them. He's like giving them their pre, one of their priestly activities to do. Because you realize that you have been and I have been placed in particular neighborhoods, cities, communities, and areas. And God did that. God has placed us where we're at, and he wants you to see yourself. The mindset you need to have is that, hey, wait a second, I'm not just another person among many. I've been set apart and ordained as a priest. And this brings with it obligations. This brings with it responsibilities. You know, because of what God has done for us, and because of what we become in Christ, we can't ignore the responsibility. Can you imagine a priest who has been taken, Aaron and his sons, taken out of Israel? They have been washed, clothed, anointed, and cleansed completely and set apart as in an office for God. They're, they were to take, that changes everything in their world. Take that seriously. Put on the mindset, I'm a priest unto the Lord. And what am I to do? I'm to go in and represent God's people, Israel, and on their behalf, minister and serve in God's presence on their behalf. I'm to teach and instruct them. I'm to bring judgment for them. I'm, I'm to be one who takes, and both ways, I minister to God on their behalf, and I go and minister to them on God's behalf. I am the one through whom God has chosen to minister to his people. And I think... <clears throat> When we understand this, for me, it seems like a little bit of a game changer. It's like we go on life and just do our thing as just any other ordinary people. But do you understand what it means, the fact that God has called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light? Do you realize that God washed you? He clothed you in Christ Jesus. He anointed you with the Spirit. 
And he cleansed you from your sin. He set you apart to be holy. That's why Peter goes on this extensive list of all this means that you are a royal priesthood. Go read it. Go get Second Peter today and walk through it. I mean, First Peter chapter 2 and 3 and just read. And he says, these are what you, you are called to this. Each of you here, all of us, this is what we're called to. But often we, I know we don't see that as our calling. We go about our lives doing our things and we don't have the mindset of being a priesthood. At least I know I haven't. And I, when I, and when as I was discovering this and thinking about this and wrestling with this, I thought, wow, this is a, this is the mindset that we must have. This is how we should think about ourselves because this is, this is who we are. This is what God made us to be. And just remember what, remember last week I read Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. He says, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourners without justice. I mean, that sounds, that's a lot of what's going on in our culture, isn't it? A lot of that stuff's happening in our day. They practice extortion. They commit robbery, oppress the poor and needy, oppress all those who are oppressible. And they've extorted the sojourner. And, with, and without justice. And he says this, this is the state, and he says, and God said, and I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me, for the land. And he says, because I sought for one so that I shouldn't destroy it. Nobody's beseeching on their behalf. Nobody's praying for them. He says, but I found none. I sought for this, but I found none. There's not one person. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them and consumed them with the fire of my wrath. So as we leave here today, I encourage you, as families, talk as families about this reality, this mindset. Have a discussion, like what would it mean if we perceived and saw ourselves and understood ourselves as priests to this neighborhood? to our community. What would that mean? You can, there's all kinds of implications for that. And, and he says, as a priest, God wants us to declare the excellencies of, of, of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to, to offer up prayers continually for them. He wants us, he wants us to be shining light and therefore uh, be very careful with our conduct before them. This is your calling. And I think it has tremendous implications about our responsibilities to the people around us in our neighborhoods. But I would I'd venture to guess that we don't think of it that way. And most of us don't even know the neighbors that we're to act as priests for. We don't know the people around us, and we just go along our way like they go along their way. You know, I, 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 here's one of the images I had actually thinking of old parish systems and how some preachers and that had uh, breaking up their communities into parishes. And then they would, they would break up visitation and go and do visitation and visit the people just because simply they live there. So they would go visit them. And, and they would find out how, who they are and how they're doing and find out ways they could pray for them. And I mean, it, obviously, it doesn't mean that we ha- we go, this means now, oh, now we have to go and tell everybody, hey, I just want you to know I'm the local priest. And uh, 
And I, I went out to the store and I bought a collar just, just to, so you would know. And uh, just saying, you know, that, that's not what it means. It, it means, though, that you do think about, you understand what God has, who He's made you, what He's done for you in Christ, and what He's ordained you to do. And so you act in such a way as someone who takes responsibility for it. And they begin praying for their neighbors, praying for the people. You get to know them. You find out about them. You minister to them. And any, and, and as God gives you opportunities, you do declare to them the excellent greatness of our Lord and our God and Jesus that, you know, we should be testifying to them about our God because that's how they find out. As a priest, that's how they find out and get to know God is through you. And so you tell them about his excellencies and what he's done for you in Jesus. You testify about that. And, and, and I mean, that doesn't, again, it doesn't mean you go around handing out tracks or shouting from the rooftop, but like it's a natural organic thing if you, you know, why are you the way you are? All by the grace of God. It's just like, I, I love how he finishes the section in chapter three. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Because as you're ministering, as you're serving, and as you're praying, and as you're, you're taking this responsibility seriously, and they see, see your life, often they ask you questions about your life. But if we stay isolated and stay away, there's going to be no questions. You know, I just think that maybe even in hearing this, you go, gulp. That's terrifying. Well, what's terrifying? Is praying for people terrifying? Is loving people terrifying? It's not, you're not, God doesn't say, I want each of you now today to go door to door in your neighborhood and, uh, Sell them, Jesus. No, you're not being asked to be a door-to-door salesperson. You're being asked by God to stand in the gap on your community's behalf and offer up prayers to be a light in the way you live with one another, with your families, that you'd be the shining light and to offer them and to minister to them the bread of heaven. That you would truly be those people, like you would, they would see you, they should see you in your home as this glorious, wonderful light in the community. Like some people decorate their houses with the most Christmas lights out of everyone else and they want to be the most lit up more than anybody else. I think that should be our desire spiritually. Our homes should be so lit up with light that, you know, in the midst of darkness, there's no greater home in this whole neighborhood than this home right here. It just beams with life. And I'm not talking Christmas lights, which are great, they're reflective and they're, they're symbols. But the reality is the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness of God that should just be flowing within there and then spread from without. Spread without. So it's a mindset. And I challenge you all, and I do, just think about this and discuss this even today. Like, what would it mean if we understood and live this out, that we are a priesthood, that our priests for this community, clearly, we need to get praying. We, we need to make sure that our light is shining, there would be no reason for them to speak against the gospel. And we need to get ministering. So may God help us to really understand who we are, what he's ordained you to be, who he's called you to be in your communities. And may we really take this seriously and apply it. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for 
what you've done for us in Jesus, how you have made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've called us out of darkness in your marvelous light. You've washed us. You've clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. You've anointed us with the Holy Spirit. And you've sanctified and cleansed us from all sin and all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus. We praise you, O Lord. We give you great and mighty thanks. O Lord, help us to see, help every person here to see and understand the calling with which they've been called. And that they would know who they are in Jesus, that they are priests. And that we, O Lord, we would know and see our responsibility before the world and the people around us and the places you've set us. That we would see us ourselves as priests and begin acting like that. Stir our hearts, O Lord. Make us who you've called us to be and allow us to see this and take this responsibility seriously. For we ask this in the beloved name of Jesus. Amen.